Good morning, everybody. <laughs> so this morning, we're going to be inviting the worship team back in a bit to praise and worship along with us, and then we're going to have our communion together at the conclusion of the service. I think it's the practice here, and that's what I pick up, that often that communion, that will be a time when you can pray for those that are sick. And uh, so if you have any special need today, there will be an opportunity at the end of uh, this message and then our worship time. We'll invite you to come up following communion and to be prayed for. And there are brothers and sisters here that will pray for you and ask God to touch you. And we believe God can do anything. Amen? Amen. So next Sunday, as already mentioned, is Mission Sunday. Anita will come up here and share some things with us. And uh, so we're excited. We'll have a missions emphasis for a couple of weeks. And uh, so I praise God for the giving here at Warden, an extraordinarily generous church giving and their tithes and their missions offering. And once again this year, we'll uh, raise the goal a bit, and we believe with God's help we'll be able to bust that and break that goal. Amen? <laughs> praise the Lord. A few weeks ago, I was uh, praying here in the sanctuary, and the scripture came to my mind about Jesus' words. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I would draw all men to me. And it was about that same time as I was praying about what to preach on, that it just came to my mind that I needed to go to the Gospels for a while and just preach on this wonderful person, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and lift him up in our midst, and believe that as we hear the word of God, and as we lift Jesus up, he is going to draw us closer to him. Amen? And when Jesus is drawn, we're drawn closer to him, I should say, he comes closer to us, and we can just believe that God will minister to us in special ways. So we're going to after the message, we're just going to focus on Christ through the worship team, and we're going to ask God to bless uh, the Word of God uh, today, bless his, our worship time and our communion time. So the message today is uh, 12. That's the name of it. Uh, Jesus healed while he was here on earth, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? <laughs> he hasn't gone away to stay away. He's sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. And he said he's the comforter. And as we go through the book of Acts, we see they are called the Acts of the Apostles. They are really the Acts of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit healed. Today we're going to look at a story that has in it the story of healing and miracles. And it's an interesting story. We'll get to that in a moment. I thought about how many times God has done miraculous healings in those years that I have been a pastor, and those that I have firsthand witnessed, and I am sure that I could fill seven Sundays and share with you those stories of God's supernatural intervention in people's lives. Sometimes he did it when we had a special guest who had the gift of healing functioning through their life in a, in a seems like a very ordinary and regular way. And then there were other times, probably half and half, when those divine healings would take place as we as a congregation would pray individually in small groups and congregations, Jesus would step in and heal. There's something about a healing that grabs the attention, isn't there? 
And I believe that when Paul said, I didn't come with, with you know, smoothness of speech or with great words, he said, I came in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. What will grab the attention of a world that doesn't believe the church is relevant is that all of a sudden the church is relevant because Jesus is doing miracles. And I believe that as we pray, the more we pray, the more we are going to see God move. So I encourage you, we need to pray for the, the, the board as they begin interviews with different pastors, that God will give them his mind and he will have his choice. We believe that's going to happen, but let's pray that way. But at the same time, let's pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in our services, for Jesus Christ to be lifted up in our services, for him to be glorified in our services. So we're going to pray that way. We're going to believe that way so that we're going to be a train going down the track. We're not going to be waiting, sitting at the station for the next pastor to come. We're on our knees. We're praying, and the church is going to be going ahead, and we're going to find a pastor that's running a little bit faster than we are, and he can jump on board, and we can go even faster. How about that? <laughs> Amen. Well... I've seen a number of miracles. Uh, sometime, if the Lord permits, I'll tell you uh, about what happened at one point when I was a pastor in Grimsby where three women were healed in the morning service, miraculously healed. Um, at the same time as that was going on, I was praying for my mom who is 88 years old soon in a, about a month or so. And uh, 30 years ago, she had breast cancer and when they went to operate, they said, we don't know where it's gone. It's not there anymore. <laughs> Those are the kind of things at the same time. And my secretary at the same time, she had worked in Ottawa as a Girl Friday for some of the politicians. And she was working with me now that she was born again. And she used to have this thing out of her neck, and she was embarrassed by it. She, it was like a, a growth of some kind. I wasn't very bad. I didn't even notice it hardly, but it bothered her. She would have a kerchief over it, or when she would talk to me, she'd be going like this, and it would be a red mark around it. And she came into my office at that same time as the power of Jesus was being poured out in healing power. She came in, and she said, look, it, it's gone. Why did he do that for me, this little vanity thing? <laughs> Who knows? Healing is a mystery, divine healing. If there was a formula, somebody would have figured it out in the last 2,000 years. Sometimes I've prayed and believed that I had the healing of Jesus Christ that was going to come and heal that person. I just knew it, and nothing happened. More times than you would want to know. I have prayed for someone, and I didn't even know if it would work that they would be healed, and God would heal them. One time, I'll tell you one story. I was in a, a church, filling in for six weeks, young pastor, 25 years old or so, and one of the board members had a sister who was in a, a city of Guelph in the hospital dying. She, her liver had been reduced to, the, they said, the size of a quarter. I mean, when I went in to visit her, she was as yellow as yellow can be. Her liver had stopped functioning, and I brought a board member with me, and we anointed her with oil. We prayed for her, and uh, I just, I, I thought, okay, we did this. I brought the board member. I did what I'm supposed to do, and I, I drove away, and as I'm driving away, I'm thinking, what am I doing? You know, I uh, normally I'll just make sure that this person 
is right with the Lord. She knew who I was, but she was dying, so I, I just did that. Uh, a few days later, I traveled to Guelph, and I went into the hospital. And when I went into the hospital, I said, I got to lead her to Jesus. She needs to get to heaven. This is more important than the body being healed. And when I went into the room, she was sitting up in her chair, and she had eaten a pork chop that day. Three or four days later, the only thing yellow about her was her eyeballs. They were as yellow as anything. God can heal. Did I expect it to happen? No, I was going back to make sure she got to heaven. And here Jesus said, not yet. A few years after that, I asked the pastor of the church how she was doing, if she was still around. Yes, she was still going strong. Praise God. And, and I honestly, I could just tell you so many things that would build your faith, and you would look at me and say, you dummy, why don't you have more faith than that? But God can heal, and he does heal. The passage that we're going to look at today is uh, found in three different Gospels, and it's an account of two incidents that happened on the same day, just another day for Jesus as he went through this world of needy people. Today is a, has two stories in it. There's stories that are stories of tragedy. The stories surprises in it. There is love. It's a story of love. It's a story of suffering. It's a story of disappointment. It's a story of miracles. It's a story of healing. It's a story of hope. And it's a story of faith. And like I said, these stories are found in all three Gospels. And uh, because it's healing, I chose a doctor to tell us how that he accounted for this. So why don't we stand together and try and re read in unison. I'll do my best. I try to lead in unison, but sometimes I fumble. It's not so bad when I'm just doing it myself. But anyway, let's read it together. It's a beautiful story taken from the Gospel of Luke. And uh, I'll turn to the side so that I read at the same time. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. There came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she spent all her living on physicians... She could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. 
And all who were weeping and mourning for her, he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed that he had charged them to tell no one what had happened. Thank you. You do a great job. I don't, but you do a great job. Let's pray. Bless your word to our hearts this day, Lord. Bless our church leaders, our board, as they look for a pastor, as they wait upon you. Bless the different ministries of this church. And now bless your word to our hearts and glorify your name. And everyone agreed and said, Amen. Please be seated. Well, this is a story about two incidents, as I mentioned earlier. Twelve years of sunshine for one guy, and twelve years of cloudy days and disappointment and suffering for another. It says in the scripture, now, when Jesus returned, if you read it in the Gospel of Matthew, you'd find out that they were at Matthew's house and having a meal together, and they left Matthew's house and were on their way uh, through this village. The story is told, as I mentioned, by three of the gospel writers, Matthew and Mark and Luke, and they all put the story of Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead and the healing of the woman of the discharge of blood together. So it happened at the same time, we can be sure. Two individuals come into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ at practically the same time. Now, these two people are vastly different socially. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. And the woman, because of her issue of blood, was an outcast. Quite different, differing in their need and for the reason that they were coming. The woman's need was personal. She needed healing in her body. Jairus was there for someone else, his little daughter of 12 years of age. People are in this building today, listening online. And some of you are carrying burdens And you're praying to God to answer your prayer. Some of them are for yourself. Some of you are here today carrying heavy burdens for others. I believe Jesus wants to minister to your healing, to your need by healing you, by touching you today. Amen? Praise God. So let's look at Jairus, first of all. Who is this man called Jairus? A ruler of the synagogue, obviously. A position of responsibility, a position of trust a position of power, but right now that position means absolutely nothing to the ruler of the synagogue. He's face to face with the death of his little girl, something he'd never had to face before. Nothing is more important. His position is insignificant. All he wants to see is that his daughter be healed. Somebody here today may be facing something you've never faced before. God would have a message for you. Temple Thurston, in his book called The City of Beautiful Nonsense, said, you know what, life is like a circus. And we, in the early years of our life, we tend to treat life as if it's a circus. We imagine ourselves in the center of the, the, the room, so to speak. There's the master of ceremonies in the, in the uh, circus ring with a buckskin hat and the silk pants, and the cape, and cracking a whip, and everything just goes along so well when you're young, most of the time, until one day the lion breaks out of the cage. And then, says Temple Thurston, 
Life gets up and looks at us in the face. Sometimes that happens. Maybe that's happening to someone here today. Life has got up and looked at you in the face. Maybe there's a loved one that's facing you know, critical problems, impending death perhaps. Maybe you're like that woman. You personally need a special touch in your life. Matthew says, this, giving us an idea of how desperate the situation, he says, she's even now dead. In other words, she's as good as dead. Mark says at the point of dying, and Luke says she was dying. And he's a doctor, so he, he's accurately telling us exactly what's going on. So evidently, this child is beyond human help at this point. Luke, who is a doctor, could have covered his, his whole profession by not mentioning the fact that she had been to all the doctors and they couldn't heal her. But thank God that Luke recorded the truth, and he, didn't, he included even this little tidbit as a doctor, saying the doctors could not help her. Twelve years of age, this little girl. Twelve years of sunshine in that home. Twelve years of music coming from her mouth, amen? Twelve years he listened to her little feet as she walked or danced through the house. But now those feet are still. Those that lip, those lips are cold. And soon she's not going to be able to utter any words. And the ruler of the synagogue could do nothing about it. The lion had broken out of the cage. And he was staring with his wife in the face of something they'd never faced before. It goes without saying that somewhere along the line, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, had heard of this man, Jesus, and the wonders that he had performed. Mark's gospel says, historically it happened before this, my little, it says there, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. That's Mark's uh, version of what happened. He was sure about one thing, this synagogue leader. If Jesus could get into his house and touch his daughter before she died, she would be okay. Absolute confidence in that. It's, he, he knew the formula. The formula was get the teacher, the rabbi, the miracle worker, Jesus, into your house, into your situation, and let him touch that person who needs healing, and they'll be healed. He had it figured out. That was what was going to happen because that happened so much through his ministry. So we see a man that's coming to Jesus. It's a day of deep darkness for him, hopelessness from the human standpoint. And he was almost, you know, basically desperate. Nevertheless, he believes that Jesus can help him. Hallelujah. How many believe Jesus can do anything today? I can do all things through Christ. Nothing is impossible for our God. Something that really impresses me, no matter which gospel writer I read, is the immediate response of Jesus to the plea and the prayer of the synagogue leader. Matthew says, he arose and followed him. Hallelujah. He went with him as he went. Jesus responds so quickly. We witness this appeal from a broken heart, an agonizing heart of a father. It reaches the heart of Jesus don't think for a minute that the trouble and agony that you're going through is not touching the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ today. Even though she was as good as dead, Jesus leaves immediately. 
After all, if she's at the point of dying, about to die, time is of the essence. And if you can put yourself in Jairus's sandals for just a moment, you can imagine your, your heart would be beating, your mind would be racing, and you must you think, I've got to get Jesus to my house just as soon as possible because I know if he touches her before she dies, everything's going to be okay. And then in the middle of this emergency situation, Jesus stops and he waits. He pauses long enough to ask what sounds like a kind of ridiculous question. Peter doesn't say it quite this way, but Peter says, when Jesus says, who touched me? And it says the crowd is touching him all the time. It's Peter like he said, Jesus, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching. But yeah, but somebody really touched me, (laughs) really touched me. And so let's look at this woman as she tells her story. Twelve years also, suffering from an issue of blood. You know, her trouble was as long as Jairus' joy, having that little girl in his home. Leviticus 15 would tell us if a person in the Older Testament would have had an issue of blood, there was something they did for health reasons, hygiene reasons, that the person, it says, when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. That was just the rule. But remember, she was, had to be segregated from worshipers, and it was for hygiene purposes. It wasn't to punish her. But as time went along, and as the people of Israel got farther away from God, the religious people of the day turned this around, this issue of blood. By Jesus' day, there was this popular misconception that among the religious Jews, that this disease was because this woman sinned. Sounds a little bit like what we went through in the 80s and 90s, and finally, people are starting to shut their mouth about that craziness these days. Rabbinical law at that time, Jesus' time, meant that this woman, because of her condition, would have had to been divorced from her husband. She was shut out from all family life, ostracized by society, by family, by a place of worship. She was reduced to poverty, and she wouldn't even be able to sell her body for, for, for money. She was reduced. Her life is ebbing away. Twelve years of helplessness for this person. She too had heard of Jesus. By this time in Jesus' ministry, we've read the story of Jesus healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus being face-to-face with a leper and cleansing that leper. Raising the dead son of the widow of Nain from uh, from, from death. Casting a demon out of the notorious demoniac of Gadara. Stilling a storm on the stormy sea. He's done miracles by this time. And she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And this wasn't an uncommon practice. You see in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 56, it says, they begged Jesus to let them even touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. That was the formula. That was the way it worked. Jesus would have worn a shawl similar to the one you may see in a photo shortly. And what this woman was doing, and we read it in our English Bibles, and it's just so absolutely weak. It says she wanted to touch, you know. You ever played touch football? 
guys that really like football. That's not football, is it? You grabbed that guy, right? And the Greek word here means she grasped it. You know that Greek word, it's grasped it. She was reaching out. She needed healing. She wasn't going to go for a little touch with the index finger. She was going to grab that tassel and grab it because then she would be healed. She was desperate at that time. Matthew chapter 23, verse 5. It shows us one of these craspedons or tassels is the word. And it says, everything the Pharisees do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide, those things they would on their, put on their forehead because they, we know their scriptures, and they make their tassels long on their garments. That's what the Pharisees. She thought she could just touch the hem of his garment, grab a hold of this tassel, and be healed and go away unnoticed. Well, didn't happen, did it? Finally, she comes trembling when she realizes, I can't get away with this. I've been found out. You know, it's possible for someone to come to the service today and for Jesus to touch them and save their lives, save their souls. And you can leave. But sooner or later, you got to talk about it. You can't just be touched by Jesus and become a silent believer. It says in Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, apparently that's the formula, then you'll be saved. Confession is made with the mouth. You want to be saved? Believe in Jesus, amen. And confess with your mouth like this lady did. Yes, I'm the one. I've been touched by the Lord. You shall be saved. Interesting thing Jesus does right here. He says to her daughter. You realize that's the only time Jesus used that term when he was talking in an endearing way to someone. Individual. Daughter. Interesting. He wanted to assure her that God had accepted her. When this woman was healed, she would go back to her family, her husband. There's a good chance that he would say, forget it. No, it's over. It's a good chance she could go to the priest in those days. And she would be told, no, you can't be a part of us. She doesn't know what, what's ahead for her. She knows she's been healed. But Jesus wanted her to know something. He wanted her to know that God had accepted her. Daughter, hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, hallelujah. Jesus says, daughter, this woman who is an outcast. Everyone thought she must be guilty of sin of adultery. This woman, Jesus said, daughter. God has accepted you. The synagogue might not accept you. Your family might not accept you. Your friends might not accept you. But Jesus says, I accept you. Hallelujah. Well, after the delay, Jesus now begins to make his way onto Jairus' house. We don't know how far it was. We don't know how long he took to listen to the woman's story. We don't know too much about the time. And suddenly there's an interruption. The worst thing The thing that Jairus would fear, he stopped and they say, your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Don't bother the teacher. Well, what's going on in Jairus' mind if you were Jairus? Jesus hadn't stopped, right? This woman hadn't touched him. Sometimes it's interesting, the prayers that I make, so selfishly sometimes, 
when I think that God isn't coming as I expected him to, or why he's helping somebody else and not helping me. But anyway, Jairus wanted to get, but now it's get home, but now it's too late. In Judges chapter 6, verse 13, I thought of this verse. It says, getting the sermon together. Gideon is told by the Lord, God is with you. And he says, well, if the Lord is with me, why? And I think that's what Jairus must have felt. If the Lord is with me, why? Why are things going the way? Why wasn't he at the house? Why did he stop for this woman and have her healed? His faith at this point is shaken. His love is wounded. And his hope is destroyed. I mean, the daughter's dead, right? And then he immediately hears the word of Jesus. Don't be afraid, only believe. Are you ready for this now? And she'll be healed. In his book, The Great Physician, Morgan says, Jesus did not tell Jairus these things or say these words prior to this point. When Jairus first came, Jesus could have said, you know what, Jairus, it's all right. Your daughter's going to be healed. I'll get there. When they started on the journey with him and it was getting a little bit longer, he could have turned and said, don't worry, even if she dies, it's going to be okay. And then when he waited in order to, to give him courage while he listened to the woman's testimony, he didn't say anything about the daughter. Only when hope was completely destroyed, Jesus comes through with his message. Well, you know what? From this point on, Jairus has nothing to rely on except Jesus' word. Wow. Not bad. <laughs> Think about it. Only the word of Jesus. That's enough, isn't it? Hallelujah. What will we do without this Bible? The word of God is enough. Our circumstances sometimes lead us to think it's impossible or it won't work out, but the Bible will come through and clearly encourage us and strengthen us. He was forced to listen to the woman's story, and I think there was a purpose to it. Twelve years she suffered, and I believe in his mind he would have been thinking, Twelve years, that's how long I've had joy in my daughters in our home. It seems like it's always been there. She's always been there. It seems like it just she came into the world. Well, whatever he was thinking, 12 years. He had to listen to the woman's testimony and find out that the same number of years that she was suffering, he had the joy of having his daughter in his home. Jesus' word was a call demanding that this man, Jairus, banish his fear and exercise his faith. Well, you see, in that culture, the mourners didn't waste any time, as we read. They had about 24 hours before they would have to deal with the body. Charles Kingsley, Kingsley said one time, the death of a soldier is touched by heroism. You know, so sad that they died, but there was a cause. The death of an aged person is touched by completion. Well, they, they lived longer than their three score and ten. <laughs> But the death of a young child always screams, something's wrong. <laughs> I've been there, I know. Loved ones dying before me. Jesus says to the crowd, she's not dead, but she's asleep. 
the crowds laugh and scorn. You think, how can they be doing that? Well, these are professional mourners. It's part of the culture. My son, was, who's a pastor, brought another pastor with him to the home to tell three little, to, to comfort three 15, 13, and 12-year-old children that not only had the baby died that their mother was giving birth to, but the ba mother had died. And when they walked into the room, my son and this lady pastor walked into the room. One of the sisters of the lady who died was on the floor screaming and hollering and kicking her feet. And the other one was hollering and wailing. And the three kids were sitting there. And I like what the lady pastor did. She leaned over and she said, stop it. This isn't about you. This is about these kids. See, that was a cultural thing. Just a cultural thing. And so this was a cultural thing. That's why they go from mourning to, to laughing at him when he says, she's all right. So Jesus gets, bends over the mattress where this little lifeless body is laying. He takes that cold little hand in his and he says, Talitha, Talitha, my little lamb, my child, get up. Hallelujah. The hand, the hand that guides the universe was placed in the small hand of this little lamb. And with an authoritative word, Jesus said, arise. Her spirit returned. She never died. Her, her body did, but her spirit lives on. We never really die, do we? Our spirit goes to heaven or hell, right? Our spirit returns in this case. You know, there's only three times in the Bible that Jesus raised people from the dead. Only three times. Lazarus, an only son, only brother. The widow of Nain, her only son, and here this man's only daughter. Fear not, just believe, he said to Jairus. The words of the father. To the woman, he said, your faith has healed you. You know what he didn't say? It's the Craspedon that did it. <laughs> It's this place here. Let's set up a temple and everybody that comes here is going to be healed. It's not your touch. It's not your determination. It was your faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's not turn this into an enterprise of selling tassels so Jesus can you can put the tassel under your pillow and get healed tonight. It wasn't about that. It was about her faith. Hallelujah. Her faith. Micah chapter 7, worship team is going to come and we're just going to worship God together for a while. Then I'm going to come back and do communion together and we're going to pray for those that have special needs today. Micah chapter 7, I think it's my favorite chapter in the book of Micah. In verse 7 of chapter 7, after describing in those first six verses the terrible state of affairs in Judah, Micah says, but as for me, I know it looks hopeless, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior, and then he says, my God will hear me. Hallelujah. Today, if you come for prayer, our God will heal you. Jesus can heal you. He can hear you. He knows your situation, whether you relate to Jairus 
to this little daughter or you relate to the woman who has a special need for herself. Jesus is here. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. It's got nothing to do with Tom Quinn. That is for sure. It has everything to do with Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit who is here today. And he is here today because we pray, because he lives in our hearts and we're believing him to do great things. It goes on in the book of Micah. And the greatest healing that could take place today in this, this sanctuary is the healing of a soul, a person who's lost. Micah says, who is a God like you? Who is God like you? You pardon sins and forgive the transgression of the remnant of the inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but God delights to show mercy. Imagine that. Oh, I can be pretty quick too. But Jesus delights. He's looking for an opportunity today to you if you are here as a non-believer and you know that you need to have things right between you and God. He is looking for an opportunity for you. And he is plenteous in mercy. Hallelujah. He won't put you on probation. He will abundantly forgive you, abundantly pardon you today. That's the Lord that we serve. And then it says in those verses, the next verse, it says, he will again have compassion on us. Again, you see, the people of Israel were no different than us. They kept tripping up. He will tread our sins underfoot till there's nothing left and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. A song we used to sing when I got saved in our church was, God took away my yesterdays and freed me from my sin. And in that home in glory, he'll never mention them. In a land far away, they'll always stay in this deep sea that Micah talked about called forget. Hallelujah. God took away my yesterdays. The moment that we met, Jesus wants to forgive you. Jesus wants you to ask him into your heart and life today. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your friend. And my pastor, after we sang that song and he told that story about our sins being thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, he said, and God put up a sign beside that sea and said, no fishing. Hallelujah. No fishing. There's some things that I'm not going to have to account for when I die because they're under the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Hallelujah. Worship team, let's just be led together into the presence of the Lord. Shall I get them to stand? Yeah, let's stand.